This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, episode 43. This is Writing Excuses, Writing Mysteries with Medi Ivy Harrison and J.R. Johansson. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. And we have two guest stars this time. We have Medi Ivy Harrison, who's been on the cast many times. Say hi. Hello. And we have Jared Johansson joining us for the first time. Hi. So tell us what you guys write to give us a big, a quick recap of what you've been doing. I write mostly young adult fantasy romance, but I have a new adult mystery coming out end of December called uh, The Bishop's Wife. Okay, and J.R. Johansson. Can I, can I just call you Jen? You can. I'm going to call you Jen. You can call okay. me Jen. Um, I write young adult thrillers. I have uh, my debut came out last year. It's called Insomnia. My sequel just came out in June. Um, it's called Paranoia, and I have a standalone thriller with Macmillan coming out in June called Cut Me, F- or sorry, January called Cut Me Free. All right, I'm going to start with this question. What is the difference between a mystery and a thriller? Because thrillers usually have a strong mystery component, and I'd never heard the term thriller when I was growing up, but suddenly it was the thing. Um, And it feels like it came out of mysteries, maybe? I don't know. The way I've heard it described... Do you want to go first? Uh, uh, Okay. My answer is going to be different than yours, though, which is that I don't, I don't think there is a substantive difference between a mystery and a thriller. Okay. I think there might be a difference in tone. Um, you know, you're certainly not going to call like a cozy cottage mystery a thriller, but they're shelved in the same part of almost every bookstore I've ever been in. Uh, they tend to be grouped together on, in online places. It, they appeal to the same audiences. They go to the same conventions. It's just two labels, one of which sounds exciting and one of which sounds cerebral, but they're the same genre to me. So do you think what happened is that mystery became associated with the kind of cozy, which is the, the subset of mystery, they call them cozies because you, you what, curl up by the fire and you yeah. read this mystery about a detective who's, you know, yeah, they, because it became associated kind of with the Agatha Christie style of exactly. mystery, I think, that I everyone think thought that was a mystery? Mystery kind of became associated with the masterpiece theater kind of BBC, okay. Hercule Poirot kind of stuff. What I was told was that it, it had a lot to do with uh, pacing and, and revelation of clues. Hmm. and that in a thriller you build suspense by letting the audience be one step ahead just a fraction of a moment ahead of your hero so that they know something is about to go wrong and that a mystery is based on wondering what is going to happen next and so your audience needs to be a fraction of a step behind well okay if you're going to give us a brilliant answer fine (laughs) (laughs) Jen you write these what do you? How do you define thriller for yourself? Uh, I think I think uh, I would agree with uh, Mary. I I think <clears throat> it has more to do with the pacing and, and the tension, uh-huh. where you reveal reveal things to your audience exactly like that. Okay. The now often for mysteries from my external perspective, I've read a few of them. I haven't ever written an actual mystery that would be shelved there. Um, the a murder at the beginning is often a classic mystery start. Um, what percentage, or is this something you need to do for the mystery genre? Does a cozy have to have a murder at the beginning? How, how does this work? I, I had a long conversation with my editor about this precisely because um, she says that too many authors feel obliged to basically have a dead body, if not on the first page, then at least in the first chapter. And if you're writing 
a certain kind of mystery that works, but if you want to do a lot of world building, which is you know something that mystery has in common with fantasy and science fiction, that world building takes time, and so sometimes it's useful to have a smaller mystery that's not the okay. murder, which also often happens in fantasy, that you'll have mm -hmm. like a smaller problem that's solved and allows your hero to, right. you know, it's reveal Jabba the Hutt's character. Pa uh, palace, right? Yes, yes. Um, so, in, in fact, in my book, The Bishop's Wife, uh, there's a disappearance first, and people suspect it's going to turn into a murder, but there's no dead body until almost three quarters of the way through the novel. Okay. But the dead body is pretty important to the genre then? Uh, yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. I think, I, I was going to say, I think one of the differences between mystery and thriller is um, that thriller often involves uh, the jeopardy of the detective, and that's uh -huh. one of the differences between cozies. In particular, cozies, you have a character like the Agatha Christie characters who are nosing around and figuring things out, but are not necessarily in jeopardy, especially not through the whole book. So, as you're saying definition. about pacing, yeah. you know, that's part of the pacing issue is that you, you have a character who is just you know, looking around in normal, in the normal world, but isn't necessarily a spy or somebody who is constantly in danger. Right, so if we look at the archetype of, you know, one of the, the biggest thrillers recently is The Da Vinci Code, right? Um, and Da Vinci Code starts with a dead body, uh, investigator is brought in, and within like, you know, the first few scenes of being there to investigate the murder, someone starts trying to kill him, and he has to go on the run <laughs> from murderers where he finds out he's wrapped up in this whole thing. That's kind of the quintessential um, thriller archetype. Um, and then the mystery, the cozy, is the, you know, there's been a baffling mystery, and um, Hercule Poirot is called in to figure it out because no one else is smart enough to figure out who calls this, killed this person. Um, are there other genres, subgenres within the mystery genre? There, there's one called, I think, a closed room mystery, okay. which is uh, the story where you can't figure out how somebody got in the room to do the murder. And there's another one um, where I, I'm trying to remember the, the specific term for it, but it's a mystery in which all of the clues that you would need to solve the crime are revealed on the page rather than sometimes oh, you'll have a mystery yeah. where the detective's either holding back information or doesn't in fact have the information until the climactic moment. Um, that's different than a mystery where the audience is invited to participate in trying to solve the crime. And, and then you have an obligation as a writer to make sure that you give all of the information to the reader, even you can, you know, try to make it tricky for them to figure out what matters and what doesn't. But um, you, it's, a, I think, maybe called fair play, where you have to make sure that the audience has the information. Great. Um, so the puzzle aspect is a very big deal. Um, the idea that this is this is in a mystery book, you are presenting a puzzle to the reader to one extent or another, and the fun of reading the book is figuring out how the puzzle comes together. And perhaps the kind of the definition between the different subgenres of the mystery genre is how is that puzzle presented? Like, as we said, with the thriller, the puzzle um, is, you know, this mortal danger element is keeping us kind of focused on that. Snap, 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 snap. Where the cozy, it's, here's this mystery. Can you figure it out? Um, our detective is smart enough to have figured it out on page one sometimes in some of these. Um, can you figure it out? Well, I think it's interesting to look at stuff like... Uh the modern Sherlock Holmes, you know, both series, BBC and, and America's, which have kind of taken this classic mystery character and put him into much more thriller-oriented uh -huh. stories. Yeah. Sherlock Holmes, as modernly portrayed, even in the, the movies, he's mm -hmm. in constant danger. Yep. Um, and there's all of these other things. So I, I wonder if that's just a sign that, that tastes are different or if 
studios assume tastes are different. Mm. In, in books, mysteries are still going strong. And you know, in the original Sherlock Holmes, I will say he was in danger a surprising amount of the time for the era that he was written. It's not always, but um, once in a while he'll say, you better bring your trusty gun along, yeah. Watson, because this one's... Um, and so even then, the ten there was tension at the end That's for true. Sherlock Holmes a lot of time. And, but the difference, I think, in the thriller is this sort of page, probably three, you're going to have your, your protagonist in danger. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's stop for our book of the week. Um, our book of the week, Mehdi's going to tell us about the ghosts of Belfast. Uh, the Ghost of Belfast is uh, some right in between thriller and uh, mystery. It's uh, by Stuart Neville, who is an Irish author, and it's it's an interesting story. It's told from one character's point of view, and he's not the detective. He's really the villain of the story, and and you find out gradually um, it's unfolded what he intends to do. It begins with something like. Um, number 12. That's the chapter heading. And it goes from there, and, and you realize that they're counting down the number of people he intends to kill. Oh, wow. Um, so you see it from the, his perspective. But it also is a fascinating story about um, uh, Ireland and what the legacy is uh, after we have peace. What do you do with people who were involved in the wars beforehand? And this is somebody who is taking revenge for things that have happened 20 or 30 years ago. And so you get to find out, again, this is lots of world building is going on in this mystery. Um, that's what one of the things I find most interesting about mystery is, you know, being set in right. a world that's not mine. Wonderful. Well, you can try The Ghosts of Belfast. Download it for free on Audible. Try a 30-day free trial by going to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Um, and this is actually an excellent seg into my next question because um, my experience with mysteries, and I'm, I've, I've been very much enjoyed the various different ones I've read, seems like the structure of the book is fundamental in creating a mystery. Um, whereas sometimes like, you know, a, uh, a fantasy, the structure doesn't need to be you know, you need to be quite in the forefront as it does here where you're talking about this thing where it's like the countdown or the structure of, for instance, I was thinking of, there are some mysteries where on page one they reveal how the, the criminal did it and the rest of the book is the detective and the criminal playing cat and mouse as the detective tries to figure out what you already know. That's a fascinating structure for a story and it seems like the, the mysteries con con uh, often play with structure. Have you noticed any of this? Have you tried this with your books? I love to play with structure. I think mystery, like any genre, um, has rules, and the funnest writers are the ones who like to break the rules. Like, I have a bet with myself about how late I can like have the dead body show up in each of the books <laughs> in my series because uh, I, I feel like clever. you know readers expect a dead body, and I, I think it's interesting as it's an interesting challenge as a writer to get readers to keep turning pages, mm -hmm. like in a book that's supposedly a mystery, and still not have a dead body. I hope in their heads they're saying, wow, this is such an interesting mystery, but there's still no dead body. When is the dead body going to come? Eventually I'm going to write one where the dead body's on the last page. <laughs> and how do you handle it, Jen? I think, I think um, as with anything with writing, <clears throat> you know, you have to know the rules and then break them. And I think, <laughs> and I think uh, 
I think structure, as far as mystery, it is it is as important as any other genre. I think, you know, where the dead body is. I, with uh, insomnia, it, there is a dead body in the first chapter, um, but it's it's in a it's in a dream, so it's kind of a um, it's a memory, and he's witnessing somebody else's memory of killing someone. So he knows someone killed someone, um, and there's really nothing he can do about it. And it's it really doesn't play into the plot a whole lot other than that. So it's just kind of a more revelatory of his his uh, situation than anything else. So there's a lot of different ways that you can play with it uh, to use the dead body in different ways to, to reveal different mysteries than, than what you might normally expect the dead body to reveal and, and set a different path than you might normally expect your, your main character to, to be on. Okay, so, so Jen, I, I'm really excited to have you on this podcast because I have read your book and loved it. Um, and, and you, like me, write supernatural mysteries, which changes things. You know, the, the classic Sherlock Holmes line, once you've removed the impossible, anything left, however improbable, must be the truth. You can't remove the impossible <laughs> in a supernatural mystery. So, so how did you go about uh, dealing with that problem uh, in, in, your, in your story? Um, it was a really interesting problem in my story because um, in in uh, in insomnia he he uh, he sees the last the dreams of the last person he made eye contact with before he goes to sleep and so uh, he's dying of sleep deprivation and there is a situation in which he, he's losing time and he's not entirely sure if he is. Uh, the person who is stalking this girl and uh, he's it really comes to the point where he he's eliminated and eliminated almost everyone else and he pretty much has to decide that it must be him and that's a that's a kind of a difficult conclusion wow, that's for your main character. That's a fascinating way to do it. Really interesting. <laughs> it's a it's a hard thing for your main character to come to and still make your audience like the character uh, because they don't want him to be the bad guy but at the same time like logically it's the only conclusion right. you can come to at that point. So I mean, that's really playing with the structure of mystery also where you're you're toying with, you know, here's my detective, you know, my my hero character and then also my hero character turns into the villain at the you know, that's I think that's a really fun thing to play with. It yeah. is. It is. Now, one other thing that occurs to me is that you're also writing YA. Mm -hmm. And not all, always, but frequently um, mysteries don't have a, a strong character arc. Often in a long-running right. mystery series, the main character resets back to zero. Yes. But in YA, you always have a strong character arc. That's frequently what is driving the book. So I'm wondering how, how you were playing with blending those two things. And Mehdi, I think you do that as well in yours. So I'd, I'd love to hear how you both play with that sort of... I think characters is, um, is one of the, not only the most crucial um, parts in a YA book, but it's also one of the funnest for me personally to develop. And for for this character, he's he is such a he's an anti-hero in in a lot of ways, and he um, he has such a kind of downward spiral, you know, in in a lot in a lot of ways in this book that it's it's really important that you know we're we're in his head. There's there's no other scenario in which this would work, um, and uh, he. He has, um, he has, you know, a lot of the typical ways that you would make your your audience relate to your character. He has the best friend that um, the the audience is always love, and that 
absolutely loves him and, and uh, sees the best in him. And, and it's, um, it's really important uh, with the character arc that it, it changes, you know, it's a series, so it changes every, every book. He has a different story, and he evolves in a different way through his character. So he, he doesn't reset to zero like you would normally in a mystery. He just kind of evolves in a different way uh, through the series. So it, it does kind of change um, as, because it's a YA, but I, I think that is a common thing with mysteries, that they kind of start over. Now, we're running out of time. I want to give you each a chance to pitch the book that you have when it comes out, if it's out, um, and that sort of thing. So we'll go ahead and start with you, Jen. What should they buy? When should they buy it? Okay, um, I'll pitch the next book I have coming out. It's called Cut Me Free, and it comes out in Jan January 27th, 2015. It um, is my first uh, contemporary urban thriller set in uh, Philadelphia. It's about a girl who grows up in uh, an abusive household and she escapes when her parents kill her little brother and she's starting over uh, in a new city with a new identity and uh, she starts receiving packages that have her old name on them and has to mm. figure out who has followed her and who knows about her past. Cool. And Medi? Okay, The Bishop's Wife is about a Mormon bishop's wife, sort of an ordinary woman. All of her children have grown up and she has time on her hands. Um, so when a young woman in her ward disappears, under mysterious circumstances, sort of in the middle of the night in December, um, she ends up deciding that the husband, th this young woman's husband, has killed her. And she's determined to investigate. So she brings cinnamon rolls and brownies over to the husband's house, offers to babysit his daughter. And then while he's gone, she rummages through their entire house to find out clues about where this woman is. And it's loosely inspired by the Josh and Susan Powell story. If you're, if you're in Utah and were around during that, um, this came out of some of the questions I asked in my head about ways in which our community helps conspire to protect people and um, might, maybe should be exposing them more. So There we are. Well, I have our writing prompt. Our writing prompt is, for you to solve a mystery, where is Howard? <laughs> Howard was not on this podcast. Why? Where? What happened to Howard? Write that story. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. <laughs> If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.